John 3:16 to 21 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here at the shore, and it's so good to meet you and greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we have some candles here that have been turned on not lit, uh, and one of our candles is not working, so uh, the love candle, unfortunately, is not on, but uh, it, is, it is there, all right? The love is in our hearts, and it's flowing, and I'm actually incredibly excited to get this message off of my chest because I love you, I love the Word, I love Jesus, and it, man, He loves me and you and I so much greater. And so this is the fourth uh, week of our Advent series. We've gone through, like as Dale mentioned, we've gone through hope and peace and joy. And now this morning we're going to hit love. And uh, as I mentioned last week, that joy is a powerful emotion that etches itself on your brain and it actually changes your physical body at times. Well, joy, love is, is equally, if not more, powerful. Like joy causes your physical body to react. Love can make you do the craziest things. Can it not? Like it does, it, you, make, you do crazy things for love. Love can cause your heart rate to increase. It causes sweaty palms and butterflies in your stomach. But more, much more than that, love can bring on a euphoric feeling towards one another. It provides a sense of security and attachment safety and trust. Something that I want us to consider as we talk about love, and I mentioned this a little bit last week as well, that these emotional feelings, these, these euphoric feelings that are in our bodies, like we need to remember that God created us. Like think about that. Like God created you. And all the euphoric feelings, all the different feelings, the, all the different emotions, these are not a surprise to him. Like he created it. And not only did he create it, that, but that he came to us, fully God, fully man. So Jesus actually experienced all of these feelings as well as the God-man. It's amazing. Like in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we, we see it mentions that Jesus understands every trial and suffering. Every single trial and suffering. He can actually relate with us in the feelings that we face. And he does it without sinning. 
And so if he can face every trial and suffering, he can also, and he has also experienced every love feeling and every joy feeling, every hope feeling, and every peace fulfilling. And he's done that without sinning. See, Jesus is fully aware of the emotional roller coaster that we each are confronted with throughout our days. And love, if it can make your knees wobble, which it does. I've done about 50 weddings. I've not once seen someone bail. I can't wait for that time to happen. I'm really actually looking forward to that because it's like you just love, you just, it knocks you out. And if love can make your knees wobble, can you imagine if love is your whole persona? Like it's everything in you. Like Jesus, like his whole character, like his whole character, like I'm a shepherd of yours. And I would fail miserably if I didn't say and help you and remind us all and remind myself in this as well. That Jesus, his character, his attribute is love. Like you can go as far as to say that Jesus is love. Like someone's actually gone that far already. We see that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. One of the stories of great love we see Jesus perform is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Like you remember the story? It's, it's found in John chapter 11, and it actually starts with Jesus loving Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Like he loves them as, as like as with, a, with a crazy type of love. And he goes to visit them, and but yet Lazarus, if you remember the story, had, has died and he, and he delays. Like he delays to go and visit Lazarus to show his great love for each one of them and to show his love for the people, but also to show his love for Lazarus. And, and, he, and he calls out to him, Lazarus, to the grave and, he, and he's weeping with them and, and caring for his friend and he calls out in the grave, Lazarus, come out. Well, some theologians have said because Jesus' whole persona is love, because Jesus is love, that if he just said, come out, that all of the people in the graves would have awakened and come to the feet of Jesus and just started worshiping him. Like that story and that sermon is not for today, it's coming, maybe. <laughs> We're going to talk about that one day here. It's for another time. But the Bible does describe love in many ways. Probably the best description of love we find is probably, you will recognize this passage in its 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It's the chapter of love. And there's a few chapters of love, and we see this in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Have you ever thought about that? Love never ending? Like, why in the world does, does Paul write that? Love never ends. Like, faith is going to end. Hope is going to end. 
Why? Because when we see Jesus face to face, we will no longer need faith. We will no longer need hope because when he returns, love is right there. Love is eternal. Love will never end. We get to see him face to face and we long for that. So that's the definition of love, one of the definitions of love we see in Scripture. Love is also described to us by way of command. Look at Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It says, you shall love the Lord. You shall love. It's a command upon us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Depend all the law and the prophets. So love has a definition and it is a command. And in today's text, love is described as an action. Today we are going to scratch the surface of love, like literally just barely scratch the surface. There won't even be a mark yet. Because love, like I've said in the past, like I said at the beginning of my ministry here, is that I'm going to do my best when I stand behind this pulpit to help you understand who Jesus is, and that's going to take eternity. And if God is love, if Jesus is love, then this is going to take eternity to describe love and help us understand this. So I want to do our best as we stay in the context of John 3, 16 through 21. But hopefully we will discover or be reminded of why we as followers of Jesus Christ, why we celebrate Christmas with reckless abandon. Let's pray as we begin here. Jesus, I pray, as I've prayed already this morning many times, that, Lord, that we will open our hearts to what you have in store for us. That we will fall deeply in love with your love for us. Lord, that we will be awakened to you and to what you have in store. That we will fall in love with you all over again this Christmas season, this Advent season, this arrival season as we celebrate what you have done. And so please, Lord, uh, speak through me. Set me aside. Lord, that you might be visible today to my friends and my family here. Please awaken us to your amazing love, Jesus, as we read your word. In your great name we pray. Amen. Where our text this morning is a familiar one, right? It's a familiar one to the church, but also to the world around us. Well, it, it used to be for sure to the world around us as well. Like you, you remember seeing at football games the big sign, the poster board sign of John three sixteen uh, at the end zone when people would be kicking field goals. Or if you travel through the United States, like two years ago when you could travel and you go through the United States and you see these big Jim Patterson kind of signs of like John 3.16. I actually think there might be one in Abbotsford somewhere, but you'd go through the States and you'd see like every city. You'd see John 3.16 plastered on these monster billboard signs. But if you haven't seen it that way, or maybe this is the first time you've read this text or you're hearing it and being reminded to it, This is a powerful, powerful phrase and verse. Like this verse is known to many as the greatest verse in all of the scripture because it is the summary of God's saving work. 
Like I want to break down our text for today with hopefully, and hopefully will reveal three things uh, to us in three areas of, of uh, just three areas that maybe we've not seen before as we've read through this text. And the first is contrast. Like I, was, I just want to kind of chunk this uh, passage out a little bit and just see the contrast within the scripture. And then the clarity of what it actually is saying. And then to close off with the application for us all, the call. What is it for us? What does this mean for us as followers of Jesus in this Advent season? So contrast, clarity, and call. So number one, contrast. Let's read through our text again in full and do our best to pull out the contrast we see. So if you have your Bibles, please open it. Take your apps out. Read through it together with me. In John three sixteen. Uh, starting there, and then we'll go through all the way to 21. And we're going to see some contrasts here. We're going to pull out five contrasts within the Scripture. So starting in, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. We see life and death. The contrast of life and death. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What's the contrast there? We see salvation and condemnation. Salvation, condemnation. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We have belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief. And then in verse 19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We have love for light and love for darkness. And then in verse 20. Through 21, we see, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we have righteous works and wicked works. So you have five glaring contrasts that John is awakening us to here. It says, Life, death, Salvation, condemnation, belief, unbelief, love for light, love for dark, righteous works, and wicked works. Like, keep these on the screen here for a second. Like, look at these. John is not saying anything different than the whole of Scripture is, not, is already presented to us. The, the, the difference between life with Jesus and life without Jesus Life with Jesus, life, salvation, belief, love for light, righteous works. Love or life without Jesus, death, condemnation, unbelief, love for darkness, and wicked works. It's a massive contrast here. There's a difference going on, and we need to see this. We need to be awakened to what is going on here. So what it means is that contrasts are pointing out our position like I said, without Jesus or with Jesus. Without Jesus, it is impossible to live. It's impossible. We see verse after verse after verse. We see this in Colossians 2.13. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Or without Jesus, we are condemned. That second one. We are condemned. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We studied this about a month ago. 
And Matt preached on this, and he said, And we, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, hear this, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in you, now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, See, the spirit of this age is at work in you. Without Christ, without Jesus, you are condemned. You are dead in your transgressions. You are heading for a wrath without Jesus. And the spirit of this age is actually working in you right now. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, like Jesus' nature is love. Our nature is to be a child of wrath and hostility. That's our nature. Just like the rest of mankind. This is a life that denies Jesus, that loves darkness, that lives within the wicked works of the heart. And again, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, also hits this wicked works. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You have hostility towards God. The hostility might come like, Well, you actually don't love me. God, you're far away from me. It's proclaiming, tr- like false, it's proclaiming lies, not truth. Because God is not far away from you. He said, for God so loved the world. When you say God doesn't love me, you are proclaiming hostility towards God. Because God has already proclaimed the truth, for God so loved the world. The verse finishes, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we can go on and on with this type of, of these type of verses. They're everywhere in Scripture. The contrast between a life lived with God and a life lived without God is the whole reason, the whole reason why Jesus came for us. See, I've taught courses on love and I've read extensively on this topic. See, when you love someone, when you truly love someone, you step into their life. You step in and identify with what they are identifying with. Like, we've all experienced this, right? Like, have you ever watched a movie and cried? Yes? No? Jeanette's like, never. Hard heart, Jeanette. It's like, like I, I, I was trying to find out clips, just thinking about this. And you know what the movie that came up for me? I'm not sure if you've seen this or not, but it's a cartoon movie. It, te- it makes me tear up all the time. It's the, the movie Up. You seen this movie? When the, <laughs> Elle is like, mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing that Elle does. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and Up, you have this old guy. And, and, well, at the start of the movie, it's this young guy and this young woman. They fall deeply in love with one another. And then there's this fast version of their whole life story together. And they have these dreams of going out and traveling the world and seeing the sights. And, and then they want to have children. And it comes to the point in this, the, the music changes. And they realize that they can't have children. So they go, you know what, let's just go travel the world. So they start saving money. And it goes through this whole story. 
And then they get to this age where they just can't travel anymore and she falls ill and she dies. And as I'm watching this clip over just on YouTube. I'm like, it, it, it makes you, like I can resonate with that. Why? Because I love my wife. I love her and I, like, I, to see her watch her just deteriorate and then die before me, I, I would be a mess. Or another movie I've watched with my daughter, Hallie. I'm not even a dog person, sorry, if you have dogs. I'm actually not a whole animal person a whole lot. Uh, but have you ever seen the movie Hatchie? If you haven't seen the movie Hatchie, that's a hard one, right? There's, there's, it's a dog story, but man, I was like crying with my daughter. She's never seen me cry before. She's like, Dad, what is going on? What is that water coming off your face? You're sweating from weird places. Right? So we can resonate. We understand what love is, what the care of someone else. And man, we, we resonate with people on a screen. But love is like literally resonating with the people that are before you. And walking in and identifying with their story. And caring for them. Identifying with their suffering, but also coming alongside them and, and calling ourselves to identifying like Christ identifies with you. That's why he's come. That's why Hebrews 4 is so powerful because he's come fully man and fully God and he's resonating with us. He's entering into our story. He's falling deeper and deeper in love with us. See, when you love someone, you step into their suffering and identify with them as best as you possibly can because your heart breaks for the things that they break for. And I've said already, you will do the craziest things. That is the contrast. The contrast in this text, just simply, it's like more of a studious kind of just looking at the text and going, look at the contrast. That's all I wanted to do for this point. Look at the contrast. Life, death, Right? Love for light, love for dark, unbelief, belief, righteous works, wicked works. Let's look at the clarity of this text now. Look at the clarity. Verse 16. For God so loved the world. You know that so right there actually can be translated in this way. For God in this way loved the world by sending his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, as we look through the contrast of life, death, salvation, condemnation, belief, unbelief, love for light, love for dark, righteous works, wicked works, the only way through this life, the only way through this life to be on the right side of the contrast, life, salvation, belief, love for light, righteous works, is by way of Jesus. That's the only way. For God so loved the world. For God loved the world in this way that he sent his son to die for you. Not to condemn you, but to save you. That you might not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. See, God's character is to love. We too love, but there are expectations in our love, is there not? Like we all have these weird expectations, these weird things that change our love towards ourselves. Like we're all guilty of this. It rubs me a little bit always when I hear people say, like, I love my kids unconditionally. No, you don't. I love my wife unconditionally. Actually, when I do weddings, I change their vows. When people say, I will love you unconditionally, that is a lie. You will not love your wife unconditionally. Let me give you an example. All right. Uh, my wife and I, when we first got married, when Jody and I got married, we came back from our honeymoon, which was amazing. All right. And we sat on our, our flower, or, remember that orange flower couch? Thing was butt ugly. Thanks, mom and dad. And, anyway, so we sat on that butt ugly, flowery, floral, orange couch, at, which would be very popular right now, probably. And, and, uh, and we're sitting there and we just kind of divided up the chores. Which, if you've never done this in America, it's a really good way of, you know, like separating things in the house. And so you just know someone's responsibility. Anyway, so I chose vacuuming because I love putting lines in the carpet. Like, who doesn't like doing that? Like, putting lines, you make it, like, every once in a while you do the angle shot. You know, so you walk in the room, it's like, yeah, this looks good. Right? So I did the vacuuming, Joey did the dishes. Anyway, so we had these different chores laid out. And in the first five years of marriage... Man, they're great, right? Made it really easy. And I came in one day in our home. I walked through the front door, and it was a straight shot to the kitchen. Like I could see the, the sink right there. And we didn't have a dishwasher, and I see the dishes piled up. And I call out, Joe, I'm home. No answer. We didn't have kids, so there's no, no noise. And I'm like, huh, she must be with the with going grocery shopping. Sorry, we had two kids at that point. And so she's probably grocery shopping. And I look at the dishes and I go, I'm going to serve my wife. Roll up the sleeves, you know, get the suds going in the sink. And I'm having a good time just scrubbing the dishes going, man, I'm loving my wife right now. Unconditionally. Because guess what came out of my heart? There was something that went from my heart to my head in a split second, I'm washing the dishes, and in that thought process, I go, I'm going to get something out of this. My heart was revealed in that moment, and it shook me. I think we were like three, four years of marriage. No, we were probably six, seven years of marriage because we were in Porcoquillum. And I go, holy smokes. I don't love my wife. I love me. I'm washing dishes for me. Our love is not unconditional. Our love sucks. It's terrible. We love ourselves. See, there's a contrast between our love and Jesus' love, and this is the clarity. This is the clarity. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, entered into our creation to identify with us unconditionally. We do nothing for his love. Zero. He does everything for us. He came, lived, and died, and rose again for us. 
In Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10, it says, He came for the weak, the sinner, and the enemy. And I can't even love my wife, the one whom I love, who I've covenanted with. I can't even do that right. And he came for the enemy. He came for the weak. He came for the sinner. That's the type of love. The contrast between our type of love and God's love is enormous. This is the love he came 2,000 years ago in this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the love of Christmas. This is why I mentioned earlier, why do we celebrate as Christians Christmas with reckless abandon? Because God loves you. Contrast. Clarity. And now the call. What's this mean for us? What's the application? There's a contrast. We need to recognize it. Without Jesus, with Jesus. The clarity to believe. And that's the call. The simple, the call is simply to believe in the story. The simple belief in that Jesus came to die for our sin. So we we cannot save ourselves or produce any righteousness on our own, but by believing in Jesus, by accepting his love, by accepting his sacrifice on our behalf, we will be saved. See, like I said, I started this morning by saying, hopefully we will discover or be reminded of why we celebrate Christmas with reckless abandonment. Is because God saved us. God loves us. May this spark something in us. May we not be complacent. May we not be about ourselves anymore. This season is all about Jesus, and we can't miss it. This is why we have hope and joy and peace and love. It's because of Jesus. All the lights that you see on the house are pointing to him. The stars in the sky are pointing to him. The sun, when it rises, what a beautiful picture coming down Lynn or the, the highway this morning. Coming out of Lynn Valley, the, 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 the sun was coming up and you had the clouds and the high rises coming up through the clouds. It was, it was the most beautiful. I actually, don't tell any police officers, but I pulled out my phone. I'm videoing, driving my palms. You know, like it was, it was so, I was like, thank you, Lord. What a beautiful picture this is of your love for us. Don't tell Jody. She hates that. Friends, may you recognize the contrast between life without Jesus and life with Jesus. May you see with clarity that he came, that Jesus came to love us and to care for us and to save us. See, the indicative of this passage, the truth. Remember I've mentioned indicative before, and I'm going to continue to use that kind of language, but the indicative is the truth. It's the power of the verse. You have nothing to do with indicative. It is the truth. And it's, for God so loved the world. That's the indicative. You, you cannot change that. For God so loved the world. So that's the truth of this passage. And that, that, that indicative, the truth is God's whole persona. He is truth. He is love. He cannot lie. It is not in him to do that. 
So he is completely truth. For God so loved the world. You can't change that. That's the indicative of this scripture, this text. And the imperative of God's truth is that he sent his son. So indicative of for God so loved by sending his son for us. That is his imperative. And he's called us to an imperative. He's called us to do something about it, about the truth. For God so loved the world. What are you going to do with it? Because that can't change. God loves you. What are you going to do about it? And in this text, he's really trying to be super clear. I'm trying to be super clear with us as well, is that you believe. That is your imperative, that you believe. That is your call, that you believe. That you believe this amazing gift to us. That is the action step for today. Do you believe? Do you believe that God loves you? That he sent his son to die for your sin, to pay the penalty of your sin, to bestow upon you all of his righteousness, to take on the punishment, to rise again, giving you a great hope, to giving you peace, to giving you joy, to giving you love. This is the story of the scripture. This is the story of this text. And this is the story of Christmas. Do you believe the love that God has for you? This should cause us to recklessly be abandoning all other thoughts and recklessly love others, which we're commanded to do. Remember? It's defined. Love is defined. Love is also commanded upon us. So if you believe this, you are set under a commandment of the Lord to go and love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love others as he has loved you. We see this in over and over in Scripture as well. To go and be like me. To imitate God. To go and do likewise. This is our call. We are called to believe. And belief comes with action. Right? It comes with action. So John repeats the phrase in this text, in this book, actually, in the book of John. uh, There are all kinds of themes in the book. And I would challenge you to do some personal study in the book of John over the holidays here. I encourage you to do it. And specifically, maybe even just do a study on belief. And a quick little version for you is whoever believes is mentioned 12 times in the book of John. It's amazing how often he just repeats this phrase. And what I want to do and how I want to close today is just to spend some time reflecting on what God has called you through John, through this text of Scripture and through the book of John. And what I, how I want to do it is I want you, if you feel comfortable, if it doesn't feel too weird and awkward, and it shouldn't because we close our eyes all the time, but just to close your eyes. To visually, this is how I do it. I kind of visually close my eyes and I, 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 I try and picture myself in the throne room of, room of God. And it is the safest place for me. And I see the elders lined up. I see the, the, the angels. I see the throne. I see Christ sitting on the throne because the, the job is accomplished. God the Father and the Spirit hovering and me 
I'm so small in this throne room. I'm just there kneeling before my God and my King who loves me, who died for me. And everybody is singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I want to read these 12 verses that describe his love for us. And so as you're with your eyes closed or just blocking your eyes, take away all the confusion, all the distractions of this place. And Lord, would you just affect change in each one of us that we might live the love that you have for us. Let me read these verses. Just thinking about that throne room. John 3.15 That whoever believes in him, the one on that throne, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 3.16 That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There's the contrast again. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, come to my throne room, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 12, 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Friends, I want to I remind us of this John 14, 12. Sometimes this verse is used in ways to, to elevate certain gifts. I just want to remind us that God has commanded us two great commandments. To love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love others as he has loved you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He's calling us to love. This is an amazing gift. We're called to love with a reckless abandon. During this Christmas season, this Advent time, but not just in this time, but for all time. To set aside the things of the flesh. To put on the Spirit and begin to love as Jesus has done for us. To do likewise and greater things you will do. See, love is defined. Love is commanded. And love is an action. Amongst other things. 
This is just, like I said, scratching the surface. So if you've never responded to the love of Jesus before, let today be the day. Let today be the day. We covered the contrast in this text, the clarity that Jesus is the Savior to those that believe. And your call is to go and do it. To accept it, to believe in Him, and then to practice it. May we as a church community flourish in this. May we seek the opportunities to love our neighbor and our friends. May we love one another with reckless abandonment so that the world around us might see the love that we have for each other and come to a saving faith in Him. That's the type of love. That's the type of love that we want to live crazy. Like a little crazy how much we love people. This world needs it right now. We need this right now. We need to get together and love one another when the world is saying just be apart from one another. Accept his love, believe in him, and then go and do likewise. It's that simple. But our hearts get in the way, don't they? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the clarity in your text, in this text, in this word. Help us not make it more difficult than it is. You've simply called us to believe and then go and love people. That should not be that hard. But we get in the way. So, Father, please, speaking for myself, please forgive me for not loving my neighbors the way you've called me to love them. Forgive me for not loving the people that are around me when I'm sitting at Starbucks or sitting in a store or walking down the street or driving in my car. Forgive me for not loving those people the way you've loved me. Lord, forgive me for not loving my family. Forgive me for not loving my wife, my kids, the way you've called me to love them. Lord, forgive me for not loving the people just even this morning uh, as I get up and drive around and, and come here to, to preach this message. Forgive me for not loving the way you have loved me. And Lord, as you've given me this position as shepherd and as Job, what an example it is. What an example of prayer in Job chapter 1, verse 5. Lord, even if, if one of these has sinned against you, please forgive them. Please forgive them for not loving the way they know to love one another, their neighbors, their friends, their family. Forgive us as a people, Lord. We need you desperately. So fill us with your spirit. Guide our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and in our works and help us love the way you've called us to. Help us be a church, your bride, that can't help 
but talk about their husband. Empower us now, Jesus, as we love one another. In this we pray. Amen.